For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. You're back for another episode of the Believe in NFL Draft Prospects podcast. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Ryan Roberts and Alex Gilstrap. Here where we provide you with amazing interviews from prospects as well as key insight on NFL draft prospects that you need to know about coming into the upcoming NFL draft. Before we get into today's discussion where we will be covering Clemson's absence of Trevor Lawrence as well as some key takeaways from the week and our current stock up and stock down players, I would like to share a message from our sponsors, that being betonline.ag. The NFL is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well. So head to betonline.ag and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that is betonline.ag and sign up today bet online your online sportsbook experts so guys this past week trevor lawrence unexpectedly was not available to play against boston college as he comes down with covid19 and has shown some mild symptoms because of the timing of him testing positive and having uh having the disease he's not going to be available for this upcoming week and one thing that we noticed from this game against boston college is that even though they're young stud in the in the wings DJU is all I'm going to say I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name just for the sake of everyone else here they were able to move the ball offensively but seemed to be missing some identity on defense as Phil Dracovic was able to put up some pretty big scoring for that Boston College offense guys I think it's worth considering that this is obviously not going to impact Trevor Lawrence's draft stock at all because he's missing games this isn't an injury but we have to kind of wonder to ourselves now as they're facing Notre Dame this upcoming week, is this something that they should be worried about? Is this that something that they think DJ can step up for and play a, a top-ranked Notre Dame team? Should they be concerned? Ryan, where do you sit on this? Yes, yes, it is something that they should be concerned about. Absolutely. I think there's layers like there is to every conversation. My thing, though, is Clemson, like you said, did not have an identity. There was a DJ Ulele. I think that that's correct. If not, oh well. We'll go with he that. Had a, we'll go with that. He had a nice game. <laughs> he ended up, you know, having a high percentage thrower and threw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. The team just looked a little flat. Obviously, getting off to what was it, 21 to seven, trailing 21 to seven. I think it was 28 to 13, 28 to 10 at one point, right? So I think that there was just an absence of, of identity in that game like you said Joe I think that if if Notre Dame would have played them this last this past week in DJ's first start I think that they would have been in a lot of trouble I think Notre Dame's a much better team than Boston College I think that that may have been upset special the the 
thing that Clemson does have going for it is, though, they have a game under DJ's belt. They're going into a matchup against Notre Dame. Maybe they were looking past Boston College to a degree, you know, setting up for the matchup one versus four with two undefeated football teams. It's possible. Uh, but I think that Notre Dame is in a position still, even with that one week with uh, under DJ's belt, that they may be in a little bit of trouble. I think Notre Dame's a good football team. I really do. I think Notre Dame defensively is an excellent football team. I think offensive line-wise, they're very good as well. The running backs are excellent. Their tight ends are excellent. The question is, is Ian Book going to be enough to defeat Clemson? Notre Dame has played tough in these big games. We talked about Georgia. We talked about Clemson the previous two times that they played Clemson. Primetime games, the the playoff game a couple years ago got away from Notre Dame, but if you really watch that football game, you know Notre Dame was in that game. Notre Dame is competitive in those games. They just haven't been able to get over that hump. I think this time they do. I think they take advantage of the freshmen on primetime their, in their home stadium. I think Notre Dame takes this one. Now, obviously, that's going to my, – my opinion might change over the week, just doing some research and doing all types of things, seeing what the injury reports are looking like for, for both teams, all that good stuff. But I think Notre Dame has a realistic shot. I think that this is setting up, and I think every arrow is pointing to the fact of this might be the time that Notre Dame finally unseats a nationally ranked opponent in prime time, 8.30, in, you know, under the lights, college game day on in Notre Dame Stadium. I think this might be it. Yeah, it, first of all, it, I find it so funny. Y'all, y'all remember how intimidating Tua's last name was when he was, you know, on the rise, and that's how we are with DJ. And it's so funny because in in a year a year from now, it's just going to be second nature. But with this game, I think it's really important to note how he got going as the game went on. Obviously, he 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 got better as the game progressed. I think he came in like Ryan said, the f- offense was flat, uh, defense defense was flat as well. Just the team came out flat. And then once they were faced with that adversity and it started looking like this could be this could be an upset, uh, you know, they, they really settled in. I think that's that's a testament to the coaching staff being able to settle in the young quarterback and, and the, the defense to to shut out Boston College in that second half, really. Um, but I think it was just an impressive start of this game by Boston College. Phil Dracovich, uh, we, we've talked about him quite a bit. I mean, this guy is a legitimate talent. Um but I think what what helps Clemson going into next week, uh, where they're going to be playing another top five team, or they're going to be playing a top five team in Notre Dame, is that they had that game under DJ's belt. He 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 got in a rhythm as the game went on. I think having that the, the butterflies are gone now. It's time to 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 settle down. Um, I think it helps Notre Dame being in Notre Dame with or without the fans. Uh, it's just something at playing at that place. Notre Dame's going to be fired up. We could get that slow start again from Clemson. You know, it's a primetime matchup. You go in there not as confident, obviously, without one of the best quarterback prospects we've 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 seen in our lifetimes. I think this game is really going to come down to how well Notre Dame's able to establish dominance at the offensive line. You know, that really good offensive line, and I think the run game is going to be of the utmost, you know, importance going going into this week. Ian Book's not going to beat Clemson, and I and we joke about Ian Book all the time, and, and how much he holds back this this team, and how great Notre Dame could be if they had competency at the quarterback position. But Ian Book, at the end of the day, is not going to win this game. It's going to be it's going to be won at the offense in the trenches uh, on the offensive side of the ball in that run game. That run game, they've really 
they've really had to rely on the run game to get their offense going in a lot of their matchups so far this year. I, I definitely think this is going to be a lot better of a game than if Trevor Lawrence is in it. I think I think just a quarterback difference between Trevor Lawrence and Ian Book would have made this a no-doubter for me. Going into this game, I, I think Clemson's still going to win it because I think it's really, really important to talk, you know, uh, the point that DJ has that first game. This isn't a first game. If this game was this week, and Ryan alluded to that as well, if the game was this week, this would be a whole different story because I think Notre Dame's defense would be able to hold on just enough in the end once he got rolling. But I think he's going to come in here a little bit more poised, a little bit more calm, collected, and I think he's going to bounce back. I mean, this guy is a legitimate talent as well. We talk about Trevor Lawrence being one of the best prospects we've ever seen. This DJ kid is a really, really good talent. And, and you know, this is just his first time being put on the, you know, putting the game here uh, in, in in crucial moments for this Clemson team. And I think I think now that he has that first experience, I think it's all going to be uphill from here uh, for the kid. So, Ryan, you, you pointed out how this team looked very flat against Boston College. And, I, and the two things I just want to point to for me when you lose Trevor Lawrence, I think that the big one is you are losing that – vocal leader and I think this is kind of good proof that you, you can point to saying that Trevor Lawrence is a guy that can command the attention of a locker room and completely change the demeanor of a team and the second thing is also maybe they were possibly looking past Boston College and also because of the sense that they were you know they felt like they didn't have that juice because they were less confident in, the, in themselves without having Trevor Lawrence so not having that presence I think definitely hurt them that is going to be something that is going to possibly happen this upcoming week against Notre Dame they could come out not having the right amount of energy to play a top four or three uh, opponent wherever they end up going to be being ranked uh, this upcoming week so I think that that general atmosphere that Trevor Lawrence supplies is going to have a huge impact coming into uh, this week's next game. So just to take us into our next segment, we are going to discuss some of our takeaways. We're each going to pitch one here. Ryan, what is your takeaway from this past week? So I, I think we're, we're jumping back about three weeks ago, talking about Matt Corral, the quarterback from Ole Miss, after his hot start. And then we, we also talked about this in a bad way, the stat, uh, stat sheet stuffer where he threw six interceptions in just a, a horrific outing and then he comes this week and he against Vanderbilt which Vanderbilt's the the bottom dweller of the SEC so there's some context there right but 31 out of 34 412 yards six touchdowns no interceptions most of them go into Elijah Moore who had 14 for 238 and three touchdowns so my question is you know just coming off a of Halloween right we got a little bit of the spooky theme is Matt Corral actually Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Is he? Because we, fr from a week-to-week -week basis, like if we take the first two or three weeks of the season and this past week, he looks like he's a legit NFL or maybe a top-four quarterback potentially in the class. Like he looks that good. And then he has a week where he throws six interceptions. So I don't, I, Matt Corral is just so polarizing because you're not really sure what you're going to get from a week-to-week -week basis. So that's just kind of my headline for this week is, who is Matt Corral? Because I personally don't know who he is yet but I am very curious to actually find that answer out eventually. 
Well, I'd be lying, you know, Go when he put this in our doc that we go through, I, I told him, I was like, I don't really understand what that means. I I, I didn't grow <laughs> up with the do- Jekyll and Hyde. I've heard of Jekyll and Hyde, but I didn't understand the reference there. Uh, but once it was explained to me, I definitely agree. This is something we talked about with, with um, Mississippi State's offense, that Mike Leach offense. You saw what they did week one LSU and uh, week two. I mean, you just never know what you're going to get. And we see this with Matt Corral back to back weeks. He had six touchdowns this past week, did he not, Saturday? Yeah, this week he had six. and I forget if it was the week before or if it was two weeks ago, he had six interceptions in a game. Yeah, so he goes from six interceptions to six passing touchdowns. I mean, you just never know what you're going to – this kid has a lot of talent. I mean, there's no no denying that. Uh, Consistency has obviously been an issue to this point uh, in the season. I, I don't know what to think of him right now. It's too early. He hasn't had too much experience, but no, that's, I, I love that point. That was, it, once, once I understood the reference, obviously. Uh, no, I, I love that. Alex, go so read my, a book. Uh, go read a book. You know okay? what? That's, that's my life lesson. You know what? That might be the issue here. <laughs> Education's a little different in Georgia. So my takeaway before, uh, before Alex gives his, I, I, I was watching the, the upset of the Vikings beating the Packers and, the big reason why they won, it was not because Kirk Cousins didn't have a, a terrible game like he tends to. He was basically and didn't really do much. He only threw for like 160 yards. But the big reason why they won is because Dalvin Cook exploded for four touchdowns. So we know Dalvin Cook is a guy who can take over a game. He has that kind of talent. And it just made me think, which they're probably not going to be in the range to draft him. But if they had a guy, if they went and got Trey Lance, I think that that would be a perfect pairing to put with uh, Dalvin Cook in that offense because I think that that team would do so much better if they were able to be so much more run-centric. Having a quarterback who has the aggressive downhill nature of a, a power back is, is basically what you get with, with, with Trey Lance and his ability to run the football. So I, I think that if somehow, some way, if they could end up with Trey Lance, that would be a, a match made in heaven for a guy that's already from Minnesota. Alex, what is your top takeaway from this week? My top takeaway, uh, and it should be a takeaway for everybody, is that Justin Fields is closer to Trevor Lawrence than Trey Lance, speaking of Trey Lance. Justin Fields, these first two weeks, he has improved on every flaw that people pick, picked at his game over the summer. The ability to, to process the defenses in front of him. I mean, he was going through progressions, and this is something we never see at Ohio State in general at the quarterback position, and is, is one of the biggest... Um, uh, reasons for concern of Ohio State quarterbacks going to the next level is how simple that offense is made for the quarterback position. Yet Justin Fields was moving through reads this week against Penn State, and and I I, I think people forget just how good of a true passer Justin Fields is. He's he's labeled as this dual threat quarterback, but he has just as just as much arm talent as the other guys at the top. And we talk about Trevor Lawrence's arm talent. Trey Lance has a cannon for an arm as a live arm as well and Justin Fields is right there as far as physical talent uh with his arm with that athleticism that I mean all three of them have good athleticism I look uh I hate that uh that Justin Fields is doing so well as a Georgia fan I wish he was in Athens I think uh, we were talking about it before the show if Georgia had Justin Fields we're we're front runners for the national championship I I, I wholeheartedly believe but I just I, I I love this storyline of Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence because you take it back to high school uh, where they were ranked number one and two not just at their position but overall in their high school recruiting class. Trevor Lawrence having the edge over Justin Fields, both obviously going to the Elite Eleven camp, uh, 
Justin Fields ends up edging out Trevor Lawrence for Elite 11 MVP. They've been going back and forth, both growing up in Georgia, both going to high-profile programs, Trevor Lawrence to Clemson, Justin Fields to Georgia. And I think Trevor Lawrence is looked at as a solidified number one because he has two full years of tape, whereas Justin Fields obviously went to Georgia for that first year, sat behind Jake Fromm, didn't get any playing time before transferring out to Ohio State. And I think what he's shown last year and then the two weeks so far in this season is he's right there with Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. And I think it would be he would be the solidified number one quarterback in any class that we've seen in, in recent years. I mean, just take it, uh, you know, start from 2016 in, in Jared Goff. I, you know, Jared Goff had question marks coming in as a bunch of the physical talent. 2017, Mitch Trubisky. Didn't really have a resume. It was it was really based on traits. And, and I think easily, easily, you know, even in hindsight, obviously hindsight's 2020 and Mitch Trubisky didn't pan out. But coming in, he was thought of as a top quarterback prospect. And Justin Fields would easily be a higher ranked guy. Obviously, 2018, Baker Mayfield ended up being QB1, and that was a really uh, controversial, you know, who's the real QB1? It was going back and forth. People had differing opinions, but I think he would be head and shoulders the best then. 2019, Kyler Murray, who I was really high on, Justin Fields would rank higher. And I'm I'm willing to say it. Justin Fields would have been higher for me than Joe Burrow after 2020. I, I, I think Justin Fields is going to be a better pro than Joe Burrow. I think there's a lot less question marks regarding his physical talent, and I think he is he's improved on the things that you wanted to see improvement on going into the summer and his ability to process information and make good decisions and have consistency with deep downfield accuracy. He has shown that in these first two weeks, and obviously it's early in the season. We have a lot of season ahead of us, but I, I, I just love his his competitiveness uh, and how much he wanted to have this season because I think he just wants to get back at Trevor Lawrence. They've had this budding rivalry. Uh, they're friendly with each other, but they they just I, I love how much they push each other to be better because they've always been one A one B in whichever way you want to look at it. And and I think that 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 comparison has really you know uh, it's, it's made them both better quarterbacks throughout their high school and college careers thus far. I think Justin Fields would be a solidified, easy, easy number one quarterback in any other class. But because this is just at the top, just such a good class, Trevor Lawrence being one of the best prospects, he, he he's going to be looked at as probably the, the consensus QB2. But I think he's right there with Trevor Lawrence. I think these guys are going to end up being the number one and number two overall player on my big board uh, come the spring. So I intended this segment to be like takeaways and not really respond to each other. But the look I'm getting from Ryan's face when you – I made those comments about Joe Burrow. I, I, Ryan, I will. Uh, do you have anything you would like to put out there? Because you look like you uh, you're a little bit <laughs> in disbelief by Alex's comments. You, I mean, Alex, you, you would take Justin Fields over Joe Burrow right now? I think like, so. You yes. Even think? Yes. Uh, no, I would. Um, I would because uh, see uh, what you get with Joe Burrow obviously is the stellar, stellar consistency and accuracy with the football. Obviously, you get great pocket management. I don't think we've seen a, a college quarterback with as good of pocket management as we saw with Joe Burrow in la- last season. Obviously, the historic season he put up winning the national championship. However, I'm seeing improvement in those areas, which is where the biggest flaws were for Justin Fields, but I see far superior talent uh, is, is regarding he can make more throws at more places on the field. And then you have better athleticism as well. I think he's built better for the NFL. You have a bigger build. You have a thicker build that I think is going to last. Uh, obviously, Joe Burrow playing in Cincinnati is not helping that case, uh, as seeing he's on his back quite a bit. But I, I, I look, I 
where's the where's the big flaw in Justin Fields' game? Obviously, you, you, your biggest flaw going in going coming into the season was how simple that offense was, and and how he doesn't have to make decisions; he just makes throws. And we're seeing it's him the same make offense. It's, it, it's, it's, it's true, but I, I think it's I think it's changed a little bit because I'm seeing him work through progressions. I'm seeing him look move his feet left or right, move his hips, open up. And this is something we haven't seen at Ohio State in years. You haven't seen it with you didn't see it with Dwayne Haskins and the quarterbacks before that. And I think they're giving Justin Fields more of the reign of the offense. I think they're giving him more trust because of how talented. And I think he's a very, very smart football player. As you see, we talked about Trey Lance's touchdown to interception ratio, uh, you know, being so ridiculous last year. But Justin Fields had a very, very good one as well. I think he's a good decision maker. And I think they're giving him more. They're they're trusting him with the offense a little bit more than they have with their past quarterbacks. And that's just a testament to how good of a quarterback Justin Fields is. Justin Fields is a good quarterback. There's there's no question. I, I would be comfortable drafting all three of those guys, talking about Trey Lance, Justin Fields, right. and Trevor Lawrence within the top ten. Like, it's an excellent class. I think that's the thing that some people are like, hey, we, uh, Trey Lance versus Justin Fields. Like, one guy's good, one guy's bad. No, both guys are good. It's right. just, like, what your preference is. Right. I think every team is going to have their – which one they prefer. I think there's going to be a bunch of teams that are going to prefer Trey Lance. Now, I, I think there's going to be a bunch in, in the other sense that are going to prefer Justin Fields. For me, like, is he better than last year, I think, already? Yes, I think Justin Fields is. Justin Fields is a good player. There's no doubt. But, like, when you start listing, like, the the attributes that made Joe Burrow special, like, that's the most important things to play the quarterback position. So, for me, like, right now, like, Joe Burrow, easy for me over him. I would take Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow, though. I don't know if that's a hot take. No, God, no. Some people consider it. No, that's definitely I would. Yeah. All right, so to lead us into our stock watch where what people here come to listen for and hear what we think, who is doing well, who is doing not so hot, first player from Ryan's perspective, your guy that you're going with this week, Ryan, is my Jay Sanders, defensive end, number 21, interesting number choice. Last week, this past week against Memphis, he had six total tackles and one and a half sacks. Ryan, what else did you see from his game and why are you high on him this week? So if, if you go back to Cincinnati's game film from last year, you see this lanky defensive end, number 21, who's just like, he's not consistent by any way, but like you're looking at flashes in the summer because like I was watching, you know, the safety Derek Forrest that they had. James Wiggins was, is a safety coming back for them. He was hurt last year. But like I'm watching a couple guys just going into the season and I had no idea who 21 was. I had zero idea. They have Elijah Ponder, defensive tackle too. There's another guy I was just kind of checking out real quick. But 21 just kept flashing, man. I'm like, that dude's a long defensive end. He was skinny at that point. He's probably like 225, 230 pounds. Now he's 6'5", 258. Went back and looked at his recruiting profile. was listed at 6'4 and a half, 215 pounds. So he's putting on a bunch of weight. Uh, one and a half tackles for loss this past uh, weekend. Cincinnati had a dominating win over Memphis. Two and a half tackles for loss. This guy, I'm not going to say he's going to be in this class because he's only a junior. But... There's a lot to be like here. He's a long, athletic pass rusher who's really starting to figure it out. So I really wanted to throw him out there because, like, I could have picked Char- Carson Strong again because my dude's a baller, best quarterback in the Mountain West. You heard it here first. Yeah, throw the Zach Wilson takes over there. I don't care. <laughs> I'm telling you, though, my Jay Sanders might not be until 2022, but this is an athletic defensive end who I think has legit upside here once he starts really putting it together because now he's up to – Eight and a half tackles for loss, five sacks this year, really starting to figure out, starting to be more of a f- 
complete football player than just athlete. Well, this well this Cincinnati team has a couple of young guys on the defensive side of the football that are that are draft guys. You know, we talked about them before the show. Ahmad Gardner, the corner. Uh, you mentioned a few there. This team's ranked what currently seven. The, the rankings for this week hadn't come out to this point, if uh, or at least I haven't seen them. I, I suppose they're going to. It has. They're six. It has. They're, either, they're up to six. Now. Yeah, I figured they'd be six with Oklahoma State losing. I don't know if this team's a number six team in the nation, but I think I think they're a lot better than a lot of just the consensus of uh, the country gives them. Uh, obviously, Desmond Ritter's played better and better as the season's gone on, and he's done enough for them to win. They have some defenders. Uh, this Cincinnati team is going to be interesting for a couple of years, I think, especially on the de- defensive side of the football, as you mentioned. Alex, your guy this week, and you're a bit reluctantly high on him, that is Tylen Wallace, star receiver for Oklahoma State. His game, after having a couple decent performances against Texas, going 11 receptions for 187 yards and two touchdowns. Why are you uh, a bit reluctant to pick Tylen Wallace this well, week? We talked about this over the summer. I am no, I was notably low on Tylen Wallace going into the season. I think I had him as wide receiver seventeen, and obviously we talk about the the strength of this class at that position and the last couple of classes for that matter. But I had him significantly lower than the consensus, and I put you know in this in the in the doc. I, I don't like that he stock up for me, but he. I'm starting to come around a little bit. I don't think he's a top five. I don't think he's a first round wide receiver. I don't think he's a second round wide receiver, but I think he is a good mid to late day two wide receiver. I don't think he separates that well, but I think there's a place for him in the NFL and I'm coming around to it. This guy is probably the best in the nation uh, when the ball's, you know, high point the football and through traffic. I think he's right up there. There's Seth Williams, of course. Devonta Smith is continuing to show out in that in that uh, in that spot in the game. But Tylen Wallace is probably the top guy in that regard. And. I, I love what he does after the catch, and I think that he's a he's a guy that in the red zone you can utilize his jump ball ability and his ability to work through contact. And you know, in between the twenties, he's somebody get the ha- get the ball in his hands quick. Don't he's not going to separate on intermediate to deep routes. But this is someone that can get quick, you know, quick hits and 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 do some do some work with the ball in his hands, much like we saw. I'm not saying he's up to CD Lamb, but that's what CD Lamb excels in. He's not a elite athlete, uh, you know. He ran a four six. He's not a he's not a great separator, but he he does well with the ball in his hands and he he catches everything. And I think I'm coming around a little bit on Tylen Wallace. I, like I said, I just I hate that I'm coming around I don't like either one of the big Oklahoma State guys I mean we me and Ryan talked about that over the summer as well Chuba Hubbard he's already been stocked down for me he had another bad game but Oklahoma State fans I need them to know that I'm coming around a little bit on Tylen Wallace they are always in my mentions uh talking about these guys tweet me their stat lines and such so Tylen Wallace (laughs) stock up Chuba Hubbard I'm just out on him and that's fine so Sean Wade previously was considered to be possibly cornerback one in this this year's class, still in that conversation as being a first-rounder. Ryan, you are the number one fan of the J.C. Horn fan club, so we know who your cornerback one is. How come you're down on Sean Wade this past week? So I, I really liked Sean Wade going into the summer. I think he was like cornerback four when we did our list, and he is a guy that had played primarily in the nickel, some, some at safety during his Ohio State career. So it was his first time, you know, he's going to opt out, and then the Big Ten came back, and it was his first time that he was going to play outside corner. I, 
I thought he was playing okay in the first game that they played. And then, like, this past game against Dotson was the kid specifically for Penn State, number five, who was giving him fits. He just seems like he gets lost a little bit down the field. I think he's really nice and pressed, man. I think he trails decently, you know, working on the vertical plane. But I just think that he is just a little uncomfortable playing outside right now. I don't think that he's incredibly quick twitch. I think that he is a guy that just – when, the, when he has to make a turn and has to get his body back towards the line of scrimmage to make a play on the football, I just think that he's not very comfortable in that a- aspect. I don't know if his ball skills are incredible. I think he's incredibly physical. I think he is a guy, when he gets his hands on you, he's very good. I just really don't like him down the field right now. I felt like he would just kept getting lost against Penn State. So it's stocked down in the sense of I need to get even more of a microscope on him for the rest of the season because obviously everyone wanted to see him playing outside. And it was not a great game for him in that respect. I, I love the word uncomfortable is the word that was coming to mind uh, when watching this game for him as well. He just doesn't. You can tell this is not this is this is not what he does. And I think that's fine. You see you see the second highest paid corner in the NFL is Marlon Humphrey. Where does he play in the slot? I, I think it's OK to just be what you are and. Maybe he's not an outside corner. Maybe maybe they should have never have thrown him on the outside. Maybe he just excels on the inside, and that's okay because I think that that position has grown in in its in its importance in the NFL. As we've seen, you know, wide receiver ones aren't all built the same as they used to be. A lot of wide receiver wide receiver ones for the NF, you know NFL teams play on the inside, and I think Sean Wade that's where he excels. I think here too he's playing a lot more of your top wide receivers at the college position being on the outside he's kind of shadowing that number one guy and I think you're gonna see him he's gonna get done up a little bit more on the outside at the collegiate level but I just think this guy's an inside guy and that's okay let's let's just there's a role for him and people you know that's it's a significant role in this day and age Alex to wrap us up here Keontae Ingram, the running back for the Texas Longhorns in their upset of Oklahoma State. You're not very high on his performance considering he only had two rushing attempts for five yards and a touchdown, considering that huge dip in production. He's had a pretty slow year so far this season. Overall, how come you're down on him? Well, it's obvious Texas doesn't want to give him the football. And and this is someone that that going into the season, Ryan was really high on Keontae Ingram, and I re- and he, I came around to him as Ryan talked about him. I I you know I grew uh, in my appreciation for his game. He just hasn't been explosive. He's had some fumble issues, which is which is what I think is the the reason for the the lack of trust in the offense and give, getting only two carries. Obviously, he had the goal line touchdown this week, but uh, no, I, I Keontae Ingram just isn't a focal point of that offense. They obviously think that they're better without him and and that says a lot about um you know pra- you know I'm not going to say he doesn't practice well or you know you know cuz I'm not on the inside but you know this guy is someone I looked at as a potential early day 3 guy uh that can come in and get some carries but the University of Texas doesn't even trust to give him more than two carries in a in a game in which they uh they needed to win Oklahoma State that's a big statement win and they won the game without Keontae Ingram I just uh, he's someone that I was coming around on, and he lost that trust in the offense, and he's just not getting the ball. I, I don't, I don't know what else there is to it. So to wrap us up, as we are now doing each week, we each have a stat sheet stuffer. Ryan, who is your guy? My guy, stat sheet stuffer for the week. I have Mister Charles Snowden 
defensive end, outside linebacker, wherever you want to call him. He's an edge guy playing in the 3-4 defense for the University of Virginia. Ten tackles, four sacks, and a forced fumble. I think for him, though, it's going to be a remarkable conversation because, like, those stats are wonderful. A lot of his production, I kind of said this on Twitter earlier, was he plays a Sam backer in that 3-4 system. So he's playing from depth. He's playing from in space. And then he's coming up, and he's unblocked a ton for a lot of his production. That four sacks talking about, like, it wasn't like he was rushing – beating a tackle with great hands, with with dip, with with ability to bend the edge, making a great sack. It was him just coming out of space and unblocked. So I, th- I think he's going to be a really interesting conversation because I don't know what to do with him. I don't know where to put him uh, positionally into my, a ranking right now. If you ask me, like, what position is Charles Snowden going to excel at in the next level, I'm still trying to figure that out. But for now, hey, 10 tackles, four sacks, in Virginia's upset victory over North Carolina this week. Big-time performance, and he also had a forced fumble to, to, to boot in that performance as well. We seem to have a lot of Texas and Oklahoma State guys <laughs> brought up this week. Alex, who is your pick for stat sheet stuff? Uh, we're going right back to the same game. This game, is, we, like <laughs> you said, there's a lot of talking points for this game. No, I'm going Joseph Asai, uh, the edge rusher from Texas. 12 total tackles, three sacks, six tackles for loss in total with two fumble recoveries. He was all over the place. Of course, he also had the, the game-winning sack uh, to finish that game out, that upset win of over Oklahoma State. He was just all over the place. This is someone that I didn't really understand what their role is going to be at the next level. He's kind of a tweeny kind of guy. Uh, but, man, this is just a big game. I mean, he was all over the place in this game, in a game where there's weapons all over the place. The passing game was going to be uh, big for Oklahoma State, and he rushed the passer well, three sacks. Uh, he was in the backfield on command uh, with a lot of backfield production. This is just a heavy, heavy stat line that just catches your eye immediately. So to wrap up today's show, my stat sheet stuffer is Devonta Smith, the Alabama wide receiver, taking over a huge amount of touches with Jalen Waddell out. 11 catches, 203 yards, and four touchdowns. That's going to be it for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, be sure to go follow all of us on social media at uh, Joe DeLeon for me, at Rise and Draft for Ryan, and then at Alex Gilstrap. For Alex, also make sure you follow our show's page at NFL Prospects Pod, in addition to Believe Podcasts, at Believe Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Stay tuned for more amazing interviews this week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.